Well, good morning one more time. Welcome to Four Corners. My name's Ben. I'm so glad you're here that you chose to come out on this rainy holiday weekend and be with us. Uh, you missed uh, first service, those of you who uh, were not here. I'm assuming we don't have any uh, people who did both, maybe a couple, but we had an incredible light show in here as we sprang a leak in our auditorium and uh, water landed on a couple of control wires and uh, it was really incredible. So uh, maybe first service next week for some of you. That's all right. Hey, let me ask you a question. Just wait to get rolling. In the last two weeks, what's the single best piece of food you put in your mouth? What's your favorite thing you've eaten in the last two weeks? Would you take 10 seconds, turn to your neighbor and tell them, share back and forth, the best food you've had in the last two weeks? Go ahead, do that real quick. Talk it up, talk it up. I'm hearing some good stuff out there. Now here's why I asked you that question, because in two weeks from now, if you were to be asked that question, what's the best food you've had in your mouth, here's what you're going to answer. It's the food I had at Four Corners Food Truck Rally. That's what you're going to answer. Yeah. In two weeks, we have our Four Corners 10th Anniversary Food Truck Rally. It's going to be happening right here. It's the most incredible opportunity to invite your friends and neighbors and family to come join with you, be in church service. And then after either service, first or second, you can go right out our front doors, food trucks everywhere. We have some incredible stuff coming. We have a gourmet crepe truck coming. Crepes. You know, you know these uh, little rolled up uh, pastry thing and uh, Nutella, chocolate, fruit, whipped cream. It's incredible. We have uh, Bones Burgers, the best, be- some of the best burgers I've ever had in my life. You're going to love it. Now, here's the thing. We're not all about the body around here. You know, we're not like uh, what the Bible talks about, people that are so focused on their stomachs, they forget eternity. There's actually Bible talks about that a little bit. But what we're about is the eternal food. But on this Sunday, the reason we're having a food truck rally is so we can hang out together, so we can talk together. The Bible puts a big value on fellowship And so rather than everybody going to a bunch of different restaurants after church, we're going to invite you to do it right here, hang out with us, and let's celebrate together and get to know one another. And we're inviting you to invite your friends. That's why on your seat, you have one of the coolest things we've put out in a very, very long time. It's a little disc that looks like this, all right? So this is your way to invite a friend to come with you to Four Corners and have lunch with you right after service. It talks about the food truck rally on the back or the dates and times, and you can use this tool to invite. I'm going to tell you, tell you about a couple of other things in just a moment. Well, you've, you've engaged us today on the third week of our Upon This Rock message series, so let's just jump into it real quick. This phrase, Upon This Rock, is a phrase pulled right from your New Testament. It's Jesus talking to his followers, and he asked them a very important question. He said, who do people say that I am? So they began to describe back to Jesus what people were saying about him. From their cultural heritage, you're like this guy, you remind us of this guy, you're acting in the zone of this guy. And then he asked them a more important question. Here's the question. It's still important today. Who do you say that I am? So, all right, here's what everybody else is saying. But what do you say about me? And then Peter, who often spoke up first, often put his foot in his mouth, this time he gets it incredibly correct. He looks at Jesus and he says... You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. The word Christ there means the anointed one. You're the anointed one from God. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. And then Jesus looks at him and he says, this kind of interesting play on words, he says, you're Peter. Now, in in Greek, the word Peter is Petros. It means rocks. You're, You're rocks. You're Peter. And upon Petra, another version, upon the rock, I'm going to build my church. You, Peter, you made this incredible profession your name hints at rocks, and there's this foundation of the church that it's Jesus' church. He's the Christ. He's the beginning of the whole thing. And upon that foundation, Jesus said, I will build my church. 
And then he says that the gates of hell won't be able to withstand the forward momentum of the church. So as we're approaching our 10th anniversary, here's what we're doing. We're turning the heat up on about four core values that are essential to the life of the church. Now, the church has fallen on hard times in a lot of ways, at least in public understanding. The church is an easy target to get beat up on. Here's partly why, because it's such a long history. Anytime you have that much of a lengthy history, you're going to have a mixture of good and bad. And it's filled with people. And I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect. If you are, uh, welcome. You're the first perfect person we've had at Four Corners. We're really, really glad you're here. But most of us aren't. And since the church is filled with imperfect people, it creates all kinds of challenges over time. Give us enough time, we're going to mess something up. That's just the nature of, of humanity, right? And yet Jesus said he would build his church, and his church would be incredibly effective in this world to get his mission and message out into people, the hands of people that he loved. And so what we've been doing is turning up the value. Here's what we talked about. We talked about worship and how powerful it is when people bring themselves right where they are and encounter the real resurrected Jesus. In our church, it's the value of of the word real in the phrase real love now, real worship, real people, real God, real worship, real change. It's incredibly powerful when that happens. And so the church will always be the worshiping, gathered people of God. And then last week we talked about just how incredibly messy it is to love one another. Again, because you're not perfect. Neither am I. Put us together long enough and there are going to be egos and challenges and differences of perspective and they're going to come together. But we talked about the power of love and the power of getting together in small groups and having conversations that relate to spiritual things. Let me just make something clear to you. If you're not regularly engaged with someone having spiritual conversations about what's going on in your life, about God's word, about what God's doing, your spiritual development is stunted. You may not even know that, but you are not growing at the rate you're supposed to. God ordained that we would come together, have conversations with other followers of Jesus, and that dynamic would be a part of our spiritual growth. We talked about how we can come together and do that in small groups around here. And today, I want to talk to you about the power of serving, the power of ministry. But not just ministry in general, the power of serving as one team, one team. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 2 in just a moment. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you didn't bring one today, the words will be on the side screen. And we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul digs once again into a topic that's very important to him. That's the topic of what Jesus is doing in the church. Now, I'm going to give you a little insight to theology right now. Uh, Your New Testament is divided into basically two pieces, all right? So the Bible has two major divisions, an Old Testament before Jesus, a New Testament from Jesus forward. And in the New Testament, there's basically two primary divisions. There's the stuff about Jesus while he walked around on earth, Those books of the Bible, those individual pieces of literature that deal with that are called Gospels, and they basically end with the death and resurrection of Jesus. All four Gospels spend a lot of time talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then after the Gospels, you have a bunch of writings from a handful of authors under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and they're trying to flesh out what does it mean that Jesus came to this earth and gave his life and is no longer dead. And they deal a lot with life in and around the church. This thing that Jesus said he would start, he would be the foundation of it. 
And it would be effective in this world to accomplish the work of God. Now, anytime in the Bible you have something like the death and resurrection of Jesus that's repeated so often, it just simply means it's important. When different authors in different times keep returning to a topic, it means that topic is important. We should lean in. So you have the cross and the resurrection of Jesus in all four Gospels. We have the Great Commission stated five times, five slightly different but recurring times, one in each Gospel and again in the book of Acts. But when you come to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you turn the page and we get the story of the church and how the church began to live out the teachings of Jesus, a couple of things become very, very, very clear. There were two primary points of focus that the biblical writers had. Here's the first one. This one will make sense to you. And the second one might surprise you. When you, when you try to categorize all the stuff that people after Jesus were writing about how we are to live out the life with Christ, one of the primary things they focused on, first of all, was what's the big deal with Jesus? What's the big deal with Jesus? Who was he? What did he do? How does that impact our life? How do we live our lives in light of the fact that he came? So they focused a lot on Jesus, his nature, his character, his teaching, the implications, the power of Jesus. There's all this stuff about Jesus. So the Apostle Paul, who writes about two-thirds of our New Testament as God moves on him, he thought they were letters. God preserves them in time and space, and they get circulated around. They become our New Testament. A lot of stuff about Jesus. Get Jesus right. That harkens right back to that question Jesus asked his original followers. Who do people say that I am, and who do you say that I am? And so the biblical writers in leading the church, they want to make sure that we get that right. There's a lot of confusion about who Jesus was. But Peter's statements, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God, you make the difference, you're the, you're the key figure in history, you're the one that makes all the difference. That's what the biblical writers want to keep in front of everybody. So that's priority number one. Who was Jesus? What does it mean that he came? But there was a second emphasis that we're going to dive into today. It's the emphasis of unity among church people. Unity in the church. Now, unity is an elusive value. Let me make a couple of statements. Some of you have some church history. This is not your first rodeo. And some of you... um, You have an incredible moment of time in your church history where you loved it. You connected. It was powerful. It was meaningful. It changed your life. There's this, you know, enshrined moment in your memory or or short period of time, and it was like the best. And for many of you, you're still trying to, you know, recapture that. Let, Let me tell you, without even knowing your story, let me tell you something that was absolutely going on in your life when that church experience you had was awesome. I don't even have to know everything about it. Here's what I do know. There were a group of people in your life who were operating in unity around the mission of Jesus. And as they did that, the spillover impact in your life was you really enjoyed church. There's a lot of other things that may have been going on, but for church to be good, for it to be enjoyable, for it to have the power Christ meant for it to have, unity has always been a part of that list of ingredients. Now, let me tell you the other side of the story. We all have church history. Some of us have moments in time when our church history, well, let me just put it mildly, it has left a bad taste in our mouth. Here's what I know. You don't have to know everything else. Here's what I know. 
there was a person or groups of people in that experience of church that you had who were not operating in unity together along the mission of Jesus, and the result was it has left a sour taste in your mouth. This is why the Apostle Paul has two primary emphases, two primary points of focus that he consistently returns to in his writings, and today's passage deals with one of them. Who was Jesus? And how do we keep that front and center so that we walk in unity along the mission of Jesus? Unity is incredibly powerful. It's incredibly beautiful. And it's elusive. When the Apostle Paul keeps returning to it, here's one of the things that tells us. Important, but it also tells us that important values have to be returned to over and over and over again because they can be elusive. Now, without me even talking about church anymore, let me just talk about your family for a second. You know the power of unity in your family, don't you? In fact, all the dynamics I'm talking about today, you can almost change the word church and insert the other institution that the Lord began that he cares a lot about, family. In your marriage, what happens when husband and wife walk together in unity? Powerful, isn't it? It's beautiful, isn't it? How nasty and ugly and distasteful is it when husband and wife do not walk in unity? You, you know some of the pain of that, don't you? Some of you, you still have that lingering nasty taste in your mouth from being in a family where that was more true, where there was a disunity in the family unit. Well, it's interesting that the two primary institutions that the Lord began on this earth, the church and the family, this principle of unity is, is intertwined so deeply that without unity, the very things that these institutions were designed for cannot happen. I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it if, when, as the people called the church walk together in unity to do my mission. Now, God's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. doesn't even need us. But he's chosen to work through the life of the church. God instituted the family, and the family's beautiful and powerful as there's unity around what God's trying to do in that family. So Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 some revealing words to help us understand why unity. Why? Why the church at all? What is God even trying to do so that we can rally around it? Now, there are dozens of passages we could go to, but I like the way this passage reveals to us a couple of word pictures that helps us understand just how powerful unity is and gives us some insight into actually how to get to the unity that God calls us to. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22, I'm reading from the message version. Paul writes to this church at Ephesus, you're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith, this life with Christ, is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. No, you belong here. With as much right to the name Christian as anyone. Can we, can we pause for just a moment here? So he's writing to 
the church at Ephesus. It's one small lowercase c representation of the capital C church that Jesus started. And he's, here's what he says to all of these followers of Jesus there. You're no longer outsiders. Because of what Jesus has done, you've been brought in, into relationship with Christ and into the body of Christ. You literally belong here. And he's reminding them because they need reminded from time to time that if you're in Christ, you have as much right to call yourself a Christian as anybody else. Now, this is important for unity. You have a story of your spiritual development, your journey. Some of you, you grew up in church. Church maybe not all that different than this one. In fact, there, for some of you, there really has never been a time when you didn't look, smell, act, walk largely like a Christian. I'm not talking about the quality of your heart. I'm talking about the way, it was, the way your life looked. You grew up in a Christian home. You grew up in a church, and you kind of talked and acted. It was just part of your breeding. Now, in this church, <laughs> that, that doesn't define a whole lot of us. We have people all across the spectrum of experience here. On the other side, we have people who, like, you're still surprised you're in church, and you're kind of half waiting for the building to fall on you. And there are people not sitting on you, around you right now because they kind of think the building might fall on you. Um, in other words, you don't have all that heritage. Here's Paul's point. No matter how you got here, if you're in Jesus, you have every right to be here. Some of you know the language, you know the spiritual truths, you can state theology, you have the lyrics of the songs, you can quote scripture, and you're in relationship with Christ, you have a right to be here. You're a part of it. Some of you don't know jack squat. Nothing. And it's all new and all fresh. But you're in Christ, and you have every right to be here. Let's just keep going. Some of you, your family and relationships are largely intact, and the choices of your life have largely resulted up to this point in some pretty good stuff, a few challenges, but mostly good. On paper, you look good. And you're in Christ, and you have every right to be here. You know where I'm going, don't you? And some of you, it's a train wreck. But you're in Christ. Guess what? You have every right to be here. Now, this is important because just like in families where you have different personalities, different backgrounds, different values, and different priorities, it's very easy for individuals then who come with their own perspective, their own story, their own values to look around and say, this is what I want. This is what we should do. This is what you should do. Out of my experience, out of my background, out of my knowledge base, this is what you should do. We're very good about drawing lines of division and categorizing. and So the Apostle Paul regularly writes, and in this passage he's doing it again, and he says, look, um, let's just get something clear. If you're in Christ, you're in. You have every right to take the label Christian for yourself, follower of Jesus for yourself. This becomes the foundation of our unity because we are in Christ and he is the beginning of the church. He is the foundation of the church. He is, and the, the, the metaphor we're going to get is he's the cornerstone. He started the whole thing. If you're with him, you're in. 
This has to be brought to the surface often in churches because this sense of unity is precious, powerful, beautiful, and elusive. When we started this church 10 years ago, um, we didn't really have like a master plan of all that it would look like. In fact, when people would say, well, what's your church going to do? We, we didn't even really know how to answer that. In fact, we were a little hesitant because we didn't want to like commit to something and then for all time and eternity, you got to do it. So we identified just a handful of things that we would be about. Like there were literally four things. And some other message, I'll share those with you. But when people would ask about the church, we would say, this is what we're going to do. And by the way, we still do them. I'll go ahead and tell you, it's biblical teaching. We wanted to do life together. We would do ministry in teams, which is actually the title of my message today. And we'd value creativity. That's what we'd tell people. We would say there's a lot we don't know, but if, if you feel like as you hear these things, you can rally with us. Now I'm going to get to the, 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 the very important part here. Not just rally with us, not just care about those, but if you can take these values and make them important to you and take other values and make them subjected to those values, choose to do that, we'd love for you to be a part of this church. And God began to bring people together. And there are incredibly brilliant moments in the life of this church where we have operated in incredible unity. Incredible unity. And God has done incredible things that we've operated in incredible unity. Again, you've seen this in your family when you're in a sweet spot in your marriage. Isn't it just wonderful? Like, not when people are going, no, my needs, my needs, my needs. Instead, they're going, what do we need to be doing together? How can I, here's the key word, how can I serve you? How do we serve each other? Not only is unity built on the fact that we're in Christ, it's built on this concept of ministry. You know this word ministry? It gets thrown around a lot in church context. It simply means serving, serving. You know the word, some of you who are Baptists, I'm going to say these words, this word, you're going to shudder. You know the word deacon? Yeah, the Baptists around you, they just, uh, yeah, they, I got it. The word deacon, let me, let me tell you what's so powerful about that word. It's simply, diakonos, it simply means servant, servant. It wasn't never a title of significant position and honor. It was chief servants. There's something incredibly powerful that happens when people say, I'm going to take my agenda and make it subservient, second to the agenda we all have together to serve. So who, who, who does the church serve? Well, our first call is to serve the Lord. We're here first and foremost to worship and honor God. Now, now that's important. See, if we remember that, that when you walk in the doors of this place, in fact, just, as a, just because you're a, a part of the church at large, your first call is to serve and honor and worship the Lord, that begins to affect how you interpret the experiences around you. My, my family, we like to travel. And so we don't have, like, the newest house, the best cars. We don't eat out a lot. We, we have some really nice stuff. Don't get me wrong. We're not, like, living in poverty or anything. But when we get extra money, when we think at the front of the year how we're going to spend our money, we put it towards travel. We, we, we would prefer to have memories over stuff, all right? It's just us. You can do it differently. It doesn't make you less or whatever. So we travel. We travel a lot. And so we were out in, in Yellowstone a few years ago. And I noticed a little brochure, and I don't know if you know this or not, but you can join, you can become a member of the Yellowstone Club. 
So for $300,000 buy-in and $50,000 a year maintenance fees, you can, no takers, uh, you, can, you can get backstage access to all things Yellowstone. No wait at the restaurants, premier rooms. Of course, the expectation is that you're going to buy a ranch around there, uh, maybe build a $2.5 million home, something. You know, there's a lot. But, but they're pitching this Yellowstone membership club thing for the benefits you get out of it. And there's a list of benefits. Now, this idea of being a part of something gives benefits to the members. That's just implicit in our culture. American Express, right? Membership has its privileges, right? Nobody's ever built a marketing campaign around this slogan. Membership has its responsibilities. I don't think that flies. And yet, in the church, this is exactly what Jesus has called us to. That if unity, this powerful and beautiful force that is always a part about good church, whenever church is bad, it's always a part of bad church, this unity can only happen when we serve God and each other. And yet our culture, our own egos, our own desires, our own brokenness, our own individuality, rather than focusing upon the serving and the responsibility, it pushes the what do I get out of this thing? Now, let, let's be clear. Some of that's okay. I mean, to some degree, a church should be serving you. Absolutely. Without a doubt. But that, that's really a secondary dynamic. Because the first dynamic is individuals in the church serve the Lord, and then we're to serve one another. And in fact, let, let me let, let you in a little secret. Jesus designed the church this way. So that if you refuse to serve one another, if you refuse to do that, like you don't make time to do it, it's an active choice not to do it, or you just get too busy and don't do it, if that doesn't happen, here's one thing I know about you. You are already stunted. You're already underdeveloped spiritually. Now, that's not Ben. I'm not being, you know, I'm not trying to beat anybody up. That's just the Bible. That serving is the path, one of the primary paths to spiritual development. Your spiritual development, your relationship with God, the quality of your spiritual life is intricately connected to you buying into what Jesus called you to. Here's the words Jesus used. Take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Serve one another. The idea of ministry, we serve the Lord, we serve each other. In this passage, the apostle Paul is trying to get us to think about how that happens. So he says, you belong here with as much right to Christ as anybody else. And then he begins to give us this picture. Because God is building a home. And this is the place God will dwell. This is the place where God's spirit will be. This is the place where God's activity will be. In church, when it goes well, it is the repository of the activity of God. God is here. Now, not only here, he can be in your home too. He can be in your heart. He can you know, be in your car. But the image we're given here is, is that God is building this home beyond the bricks and mortars of this place, the called together group of people who are in Jesus. And he's building this building. Next sentence. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here. You have a story of how you got here, got to in Christ. It usually involves somebody making an investment in you. Somebody paved the way, paid the price, was bold enough to share. And that becomes a part of your story. No matter what that looks like, 
God wants to use it. And he wants to use it in what he's building. So here's the thing. He's calling you to be a part of where his presence is, and then he's going to use you to actually continue to create the place where his presence is. And where his presence is is where lives are changed, where marriages are reunited, where parents, the, 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 the Bible says, where the heart of the father is turned back to his children, apart from all the, all the, other, the, the distractions of the world. Where God's presence is, is the place where God's activity and life change happens. And so he's using us, all of us, irrespective of how we got here and what he's building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation, so that's in our past. And now he's using you in the present, fitting you together brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. Do you know this concept of cornerstone? Foundation's down, now we want to put up the rest of the stone, the rest of the bricks, and the cornerstone is set, and against the cornerstone, every other stone is squared, aligned. The cornerstone determines the east and west, north and, west, north and south boundaries, if you will. And we plumb our walls against the cornerstone. Jesus sets the standard for every other stone. It's his church, remember. He's building it. We just get to be a part of it. No matter how we got here, we are a part of it. And God expects, wants us, in fact, has designed it so that as we serve one another, even as we serve the Lord, that's how we encounter the presence of God. And so he takes these varied stones and he begins to knit them together in their proper place. And unity is incredibly hard to maintain. I've already talked about the fact that we're individuals with back, different background stories and, and, and ego and goals and ambitions and desires. And then there's a spiritual dynamic. There's a spiritual dynamic where everything that God wants to have happen, there's an opposite force trying to literally stop the movement of God in the world. He's the one who sows discord in your family. He's the one who sows discord in church. He's the one that when there are real issues that need to be discussed, just so we can all get along, he's the one that adds a heap of emotion and layers on um, all kinds of negative implication and rumor mongering. He's the one who layers all that stuff in so that even as we need to have what can be difficult and challenging conversations, now they're so emotionally laced. This is why. The Apostle Paul talks about, about you know, how we do conflict resolution, how you're supposed to go straight to people, how gossiping is a problem. How It's not because you can't have differences. It's that as we talk through our differences, as God's fitting it together, we have to be committed to the mission of Jesus together, putting our agenda secondary to what he's called the church to, sharing Jesus with the world. Here's the way we say it in our church. Just trying to pull it straight from the pages of Scripture, but putting it in kind of modern context. We believe that God has called us to be a church where folks in North Cincinnati have an incredible opportunity to become a fully developing follower of Jesus. We shortened it to three words, real love now. Real love now. We want people to walk in our doors experience real love now. We want the folks who have to have a real encounter with the real God in real worship. We want them to love others and get in community of small groups and carve out time to have important conversations. And we want them to serve now because only in serving can you complete that environment where you and I can grow spiritually. 
And we ask everybody in this room to take their agendas and put it secondary to the agenda of God, starting with me and the staff and our board and every volunteer and leader in this church. So like, for instance, in this room, we have experiences, what we'd like, what we don't like. We're not the only church. The way we do church is not the only way to do it. But in this room, we've tried to be crystal clear what we want to do. We want to create every single week an environment where people can encounter God, no matter where they begin on their spiritual journey. So we're very careful about the theological words we use. We go a little slower to make sure that we can keep pace. I feel a lot often like Moses, who led the children of Israel through the wilderness. You had the young folks up front saying, come on, a little faster, a little faster. And you had some older folks in the back going, I don't know if I can keep up. And we together try to make it so we can all go together. And so the song choices, the lyrics, I used the message version today. So I didn't have to spend a lot of time trying to unpack what can be sometimes archaic and arcane language, English syntax. The message kind of puts it out there in a more transparent way sometimes. Let me show you how disunity creeps in. Somebody looks and says, oh, the message? Ben must be a liberal. Now, that may not relate to you at all, but somebody's like, yeah, I knew it. Finally, somebody said it, right? <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I mean, you know, if you're around here most of the time, you know, typically I use the NIV, and somebody's like, ah, where's the King James? We are incredible at using dividing lines, but what we ask for unity to be maintained is put the message and the mission of Jesus here, and let's put our own things under. This is what God called you to do in your family, men and women. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. That's straight from God's word. To literally take your mission and put it under. Submission. Take your mission and put it under. Doesn't mean you can't talk about the differences in your marriage. In fact, you need to. How you talk about them, the attitude, and what you believe in your mind as you're talking about them makes all the difference. You've never been a part of a church that you enjoyed for unity wasn't alive and well. And every time you had an ugly experience in church, somewhere lurking in the background was a splinter of disunity and it probably was right around this value. Serving God and serving others was no longer the driving force. So there are worship wars. You know this, don't you? You got drums. Ugh. Where's the organ? We sing only out of the Psalms. I don't know who that guy is. Those lyrics, same thing over and over and over again. Give me the beauty of the hymns. And worship wars disintegrate churches. Can you have an opinion? Yep. Should you have an opinion? Yep. Should you fight about it? Nope. Just go to a church and support it that does it the way you like it. And quit fighting. The way people present the message, the way they do kids' ministry. And the enemy knows that it doesn't take much to get into somebody's ego, drive, motivation, and all these things that are secondary issues become the thing that divide. So the Apostle Paul, as the Holy Spirit moves on him, don't forget that when he's writing, it's not just his thought, the Holy Spirit's moving on him, he consistently returns to this value. How do we maintain unity? How do we maintain unity? How do we maintain unity? Because without unity, the mission and the work of Jesus is thwarted. People don't change. God's work is hindered. So how do we do it? So we serve the Lord first. So let me just talk to those who have been following Jesus for a long time. Friends, you can serve the Lord anywhere. You can. And if there's a Sunday or two you don't particularly enjoy around here, it's okay. 
you know, I say if we hit 80%, you should be happy with us. Give me a solid B. I'm good, all right? Uh, a B minus, 79.5. I'm good with it. Uh, you shouldn't expect. It'd be unhealthy to expect. In the same way you don't want your spouse expecting you to always be perfect, you can't expect your church to always be perfect. But on those days it's not good, here's the deal. I can stand right there and worship God because I'm called to worship him no matter what anybody else is doing. And if I don't particularly connect with the message, you know, especially since I'm giving it, that's a problem. But let me just say somebody else is giving the message, okay? My metaphor's falling apart on me here. Um, it's okay. You know, you can go a couple weeks like that. But at, at the end of the day, I'm called uh, to be a self-feeder in God's word. And then when I come to church, I realize it's not just the only place I get nourished. It's a place where I engage the nourishment of the community. And maybe I can talk about it. And I'm, I'm telling you, when church is bad, it's because we're not serving the Lord and we're not serving others. And when it's good, it's because there's a handful of people, and it doesn't have to be everybody, it just has to be a number, you know, a movement of people who are saying, God's agenda first, serving others second, and then my preferences third. This is how unity is maintained in churches. And it's tough. You already know it's tough. You see it in your family. But when it happens, it's powerful and beautiful. Now, here's the truth about churches. We go through in and out of phases of this. We do. Local churches go in and out of phase. And individuals in the local church go in and out of phase. That's okay. That's normal. And so God's Spirit, through the pages of the Scripture and in His dealing with our minds, is often calling us back and saying, are you approaching church like a club with benefits or are you approaching it like the body of Christ that you are privileged to be a part of and now you get to serve the Lord and others out of it? Is it a club with benefits or is it the body of Christ as a part of my personal spiritual development? That's an essential question. You have to ask this of yourself. Doesn't mean you can't have hard conversations. Doesn't mean you can't beg certain issues. Of course you can. It impacts how you do it, when you do it, why you do it and ultimately what you're shooting for. Are we serving the Lord and serving others? Are we just serving ourselves? And are we aware of that? So God's Spirit comes to us through the pages of His Word, through the whisper of His Spirit, through the counsel of others, and says, look, this church that you get to be a part of, no matter how you got here, you have a full right to be here. This church you get to be a part of has a certain dynamic that you have to submit to if it's going to go well. You have to allow Jesus to fit you together with others. I mean, a brick by itself is not a building. But as you fit together, and friends, this takes work. It's easy to get sideways. It's easy to get your feelings hurt. It's easy to be disappointed in me. Trust me, it's real easy to get disappointed in me. And yet there's the mission of Jesus where he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stop the forward momentum of the church. This is what we rallied around 10 years ago and it's what we have an opportunity today to remind ourselves of and move forward with. And I'm asking you specifically over the next two weeks to rally around our corporate, combined, God-given, Holy Spirit-inspired emphasis to reach outside these walls. God's heart of evangelism for people who are not yet fit together, who maybe had a bad experience and they haven't been back. They haven't been back to church for years. 
or, or they hear about the church on the news, and they'd never step into a church, but they know you, and they kind of like you, and you're not too weird, and you can invite them to have lunch with you after church at your church two weeks from now, and they just might come, and they'll come for food, because the food's going to be amazing, but they'll also get spiritually nourished, and we are praying that the living water, which is Christ, will quench their spiritual thirst on that day, even as maybe you're buying them a crepe or a hot dog, or maybe, you know, you can't, and so you're just inviting them, they're going to buy their own. Even as they're feeding themselves physically, we pray they get nourished spiritually. Because at the end of the day, I'm telling you, nothing in life beats life with Christ. And some of you know that, and you're living it. But there is a ton of people outside of these walls who don't know that practically. And they're hungry and they're thirsty. And Jesus' words, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Those words become real to them as you take this disc, maybe, and you just invite them and say, look, we're having this food rally. I don't know all this coming. It's going to be awesome. I'm coming. Would you just come have lunch with me? Bam. Done. Right? You don't want to do that because that's kind of odd, but maybe you just kind of hand it to them like that. But in my mind, it's like, ah, did it right? Bold. Woo! Out there. Yes. Part of it. And I can't do this by myself. I can do a lot of it, and I am, but I can't do it by myself. The other thing you can do is you take like these door hangers in the middle of the night so nobody sees you, and you can put it on a mailbox, not in, federal offense, on a mailbox. You can do that. My wife and I are going to go around with our boys, and I bet we'll hit all 500 houses in our kind of combined neighborhoods. Now, I'm not committing. I think we will. I bet we hit at least half, but we're going to shoot for all 500. I'm going to do it at you know, dark when nobody's looking. Um, I don't have a lot of conversations. Honestly, I'm an introvert. You wouldn't know. It's the truth. But I just want them to know there's a food truck rally coming. Now, how many people are going to come? I don't know. See, that's where I got to leave it to the Lord. I just have to be a part of it. So on your seat, there's a little green piece of paper that says, I'm going to help with like hanging door parties. So I don't want to like do it, but maybe I'll drive a car. Maybe I do it with other people. So you're going to be given three of these today. Right? You're going to be given a handful of those. But you can shine up for any one of these days, Thursday, Sunday, or Thursday next week, and just show up and like, just be a part of a team doing it. We're just trying to get the word out. We don't know all that God's going to do. You can buy a t-shirt and wear it. You can buy a t-shirt for your friend for 10 bucks, get one free for you, and you can use that t-shirt as an invite. You can use Facebook. So here's the deal. We're inviting them to engage things that they might be interested in, knowing that it's foolish to expect people who are not in a relationship with Christ or maybe in a sour place right now to fully value everything we value. So we give them great food physically in hopes that they will eat the spiritual food that Christ has laid out for them in this place. And we ask everybody to take their agendas and put them under this agenda that we're doing together and to walk in unity around it. Because I still believe Jesus is the best thing going. And I still believe in the power of the local church to change lives. And I still believe that the power of Christ at work in a community can change marriages and parent-child relationships, the way we engage our illnesses and difficulties, the way we talk about money. I think the power of Jesus Christ is a beautiful thing. And it's worth me saying, Ben, be second. Submit to the work of the local church, to what Jesus is doing. Put your hurt aside, put your experience aside, and put what people have said about you aside, and instead focus on Jesus. And that's what I'd like for us to do over the next couple weeks. And I think if we do, people are going to experience 
beautiful church. And they may not even know that that's what's really going on. Here's what they're going to say. I enjoyed it. The people were friendly. I connected with it. But what's really happened is the Holy Spirit has had an open door into their heart. And friends, that's worth every sacrifice you and I will make. So do this. Grab out your Connect card. and Let's take a few steps together as a congregation. Every week we want to give people a chance to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. To acknowledge that they are what the Bible says about them, distant and broken, spiritually dead, but they can be made alive through Christ, not because of anything they've done, but simply because Jesus gave his life on the cross and was resurrected from the dead. So if you want to do that, I ask you to check next step A. Put that card in the offering bucket when it comes by at the end of the service and maybe pray this prayer with me. When I pray, God, I'm a sinner. Wash me clean by your blood. Become the Lord and the leader of my life. Or how about next step B, you want to get baptized? If you have questions about that or you know you want to get baptized, you haven't yet gone public with your confession of faith in the Lord Jesus, go ahead and check that. We'll answer your questions or perhaps, perhaps get you signed up. We have a handful of folks getting baptized next week. It's going to be beautiful around here. So go ahead and check the box, put the card in the offering bucket. Here's next step C for us. As a part of the one team, like God's team, I'm going to use the disc to invite three people to join me. It's a numbers game at this point. We invite enough people, a handful are going to come. All right? So why don't you just think about who could I invite? Use that little disc to do it. All right? uh, Letter D, here's what it says. As a part of this team, (laughs) I'm going to use the door hangers to invite. Listen, you don't have to do it all. Pick something. Do something. All right? And the next step, E, I'd like everybody in the room to commit and actually do this. As a part of the team here, I'm going to pray that many will hear and respond to the gospel on our big day on September 14th. Let's pray about these things right now. Lord Jesus, you're good. You're good. And what you're doing in this world is so beautiful and powerful. I just want to confess, Lord, that sometimes I get in the way. I forget that I'm here, first of all, to serve and worship you. And secondarily, I'm here to serve and come alongside others. God, I want to take a moment right now and lift up those folks who are declaring, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Save me. Wash me clean by your blood. I want you to be the Lord of my life. God, and I pray for this church that we would come together in unity around what you've called us to do, to be a place in North Cincinnati where people have an incredible opportunity to become fully developing followers of Jesus. God, help this to be a place where real love now is not a motto over our door. It's the life we live together. And I pray this in the powerful and holy name of Jesus, the strong Son of God. Amen and amen.